Hello and welcome to another edition of Question and Response, a podcast by Trinity Grace Church. My name is Jacob and you, dear listener, are in great fortune because I'm not the one who gives the responses. For that task, Michael Novak is with us today. Michael, how are you? I'm doing well. Jacob, thanks for being here again to ask some questions. Yes. Yeah, this is, uh, I think this is a good opportunity for people to um, kind of go beyond just the Sunday morning sermon and to uh, further develop their knowledge of the scriptures and really get at the things that are making them curious. Absolutely. It's a good way to continue the conversation, to get the gears turning. Uh, and we want to take questions seriously at Trinity Grace. And uh, this is a great way to do that. Yeah. And uh, so with that, why don't we go on into the first question? Let's do it. Okay. So the first question is great because it may as well have been a question from me because I have no idea what this is, but what are kingdom prayers? You mentioned uh, when you pitched the women's Bible study, you mentioned that every other week they do a study of Colossians, but then on the alternating weeks they do kingdom prayers. What is that? Yeah, great question. And uh, I, I just should not assume that anybody else knows what I'm talking about when I say kingdom prayers because it's not a biblical term. Uh, It's not even uh, really a cultural term or a denominational term. Uh, It's a term that uh, I've heard before, um, but it really uh, highlights two aspects of who God is. Uh, We believe that God is both imminent and that he's transcendent. When we say that God is imminent, that means we we believe that he is near, that he is close, that he is with us in the day-in, day-out realities of our life. When we say that he's transcendent, we mean that he is completely other. He is holy. He is above and beyond our imaginations. He's glorious. And so when I talk about kingdom prayers, I'm talking about those prayers that really focus in on God's transcendence. Um, Obviously, God cares for our uh, day-in, day-out lives. Uh, The gospel says that he knows uh, the hairs that are on our head. He has counted them. Uh, by number. And so we can bring those cares to him uh, on a daily basis. But when I say kingdom prayers, I'm really talking about focusing in on uh, big prayers uh, for God's spirit to be um, at work in our community. And there's two different areas of scripture that come to mind when I think of kingdom prayers. The first is the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And you see it start with transcendence and then it works its way to eminence meaning it starts big. It starts with a focus on our Father in heaven and wanting his name to be holy and hallowed and glorified. Uh, Jesus talks about wanting to see earth look more like heaven um, or San Antonio look more like heaven. And it's really a top-down prayer. And then you also see this kind of kingdom prayer in the book of Acts when the church is beginning. It's a new church. They're being persecuted Uh, And they're praying big prayers for God's spirit and movement to be at work through them. And in Acts chapter 4, you actually uh, get a sense of what I'm talking about. Um, The apostles had just been persecuted by the religious leaders. They're released. They're not killed, but they're released, having been beaten by the leaders. And they go back to their community, and they begin to pray. Uh, and they pray, um, they pray big prayers. And in Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 23, it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, and then went about praying big prayers for God to be at work through them. And then picking up in 
verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so it's a great illustration of what I mean when I say kingdom prayers. Um, God is not necessarily shaking buildings, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we wouldn't want to see that happening mm-hmm. in these evenings when the ladies meet to yeah. pray these pray these kingdom prayers. It is it is my house. So to the extent that walls could not be shaken, that would be <laughs> that's, that's right. That would, that be, would be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me ask let me ask you this. It, it's kind of a naive question, but it's my obvious follow up to to what you just talked about. Um, the the women's Bible study is is an hour hour and a half. Long. Are they sitting there with their eyes closed praying for an hour and a half? I know that sounds totally right. like uh, like not super spiritual, but yeah. like is that really what they're doing? Yeah, if we were together, we'd be talking football or, <laughs> or soccer. Um, and it's it's a great question. I, I do think they're devoting themselves to some extended period uh, of prayer while they're meeting. And what they do is actually they take uh, note cards that are uh, prepared beforehand and they split into smaller groups. Mm. And the note cards have, um, you know, you're not praying for Aunt Ida's uh, big toe um, that's been injured uh, by being stubbed. They're praying for God to be at work through our missionaries' ministries Mm -hmm. or that new folks might walk through our doors and hear the gospel of Jesus for the first time. Or they're praying for the unborn um, and for women who are experiencing crisis pregnancies. Uh, They're praying that... um, uh, that God would raise up leaders in our church uh, to encourage and, and to lead the way in gospel ministry. And so um, they definitely have a plan. Uh, it's organized, uh, but they're spending a, a large portion of that time praying together out loud. That's awesome. Um, do, do people need a, a, a Bible study group for kingdom prayer, or is this something that individuals can do just on their own? And and maybe what are some practical tips for that? Great question. And I I think that we should be doing it on our own. Um, It does help to do it in community. Um, But, I mean, the Lord's Prayer, you could take that as a a, a sample prayer that you could pray by yourself every day where you start praising God for who He is, asking that His name would be made holy in your life and in the lives of others, asking that San Antonio might look more like heaven and then allow your mind to roam in terms of what that would look like and ask God for it. And then you move into your daily needs. Give us our daily bread. Um, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Make us in right relationship with one another. That's the eminence portion. That's the eminence portion. That's exactly right. Moving into God being near to us on a daily basis. Um, and so I think it's a great sample, not only for our corporate prayers, but also for our individual prayers. Awesome. Um, okay, so this second question um, uh, relates to the sermon that we, ha- that we listened to on Sunday morning out of Mark 7. So this second question says this, I really enjoyed the sermon today. Michael loves those compliments. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I understand God transforms our hearts. And there is nothing we can do to earn his favor. But I do feel like when I'm reading my Bible and praying more, I'm more connected to him. How can we have transformed hearts on a day-to-day basis? Isn't being faithful on our part an important part of being transformed? And what are some practical things we can do as believers to experience 
his joy to the fullest? It's such a great question. And what that question articulates and the desire behind it is so beautiful. And hopefully uh, it's a universal experience among, a Christ, uh, among Christians uh, that we want to experience God's presence in our lives and his joy to the fullest. And I actually think that we grow and we're slowly conformed to Christ's image through the spiritual disciplines. And so I hope that you did not hear me say that spiritual disciplines were not important this past Sunday. Um, we believe at Trinity Grace that spiritual disciplines are the way that we grow as followers of Jesus. And we believe that faithfulness is an important part of that. I That's think one of, of the spiritual disciplines? Well, faithfulness in the spiritual okay. disciplines, um, yes. And so um, I immediately think of Paul writing to Timothy uh, about the idea of discipline. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. Uh, verses 7 and 8. Let me turn there real fast. First Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, um, Have nothing to do with irrever irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so in no way do we ever want to say that effort or discipline is not important. Um, in fact, we want to encourage followers of Jesus to engage in disciplines. Uh, one of the um, phrases that I love, and I wish that I could hammer it deep into my heart and hammer it into the heart of everybody else that follows Jesus, is this. Grace is opposed to merit. It's not opposed to effort. Mm -hmm. And so grace is opposed to merit. We can never earn God's favor but it doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play as we seek him to draw near to him. And so the question really becomes, what's your motivation as you engage the spiritual disciplines? Because we believe that once you're justified, once you're in Christ, once you've placed your faith in him, that God cannot love you any more than he does at this moment, and he can't love you any less than he does at this moment. And so are you engaging in the spiritual disciplines trying to earn his favor, trying to earn his love, trying to keep some calamity from coming upon you? Um, or are you engaging in the spiritual disciplines out of a response of gratitude for what God's done for you, knowing that you can't earn his love, but just simply wanting to enjoy his presence? I think that's really the key issue. What's the motivation behind wanting to be um, engaged in the spiritual disciplines. Yeah, that, you, you, that's a good thing that you mentioned, that it's not about um, praying to God so that there, some calamity would be uh, that wouldn't happen to you. God's not some, some fairy that you can pray to, and if you pat your head and rub your tummy at the same time, mm -hmm. then some miracle will occur. That's one of the silly myths that Paul is, is talking about when he talks to Timothy. Are there any other common silly myths that are out there that you see um, in American Christianity generally that are um, easy for Christians to fall into? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I think one of the biggest myths that we all fall into in some ways is that if we have a big streak of spiritual disciplines going, mm. um, that for some reason, I feel like if I've read my Bible for a consistent number of days, if I'm engaged in prayer in a consistent way, I feel more equipped to evangelize another person and that might be true. I might be more equipped because I'm in tune with the Spirit, but I also feel more worthy to do that. 
Um, and if I feel more worthy to engage in evangelism or service towards another person because I've been engaged in the spiritual disciplines, I think that that might be something to pay attention to um, because uh, we're not more worthy or less worthy than we are right now in Christ. Yeah. And so I think that that's just a temptation for all of us to feel better about ourselves if we're engaged in the spiritual disciplines and to feel worse of our, about ourselves if we're not. But that's not really what the spiritual disciplines are about. They're, it's about connecting with Jesus, spending pres- uh, time in God's presence, bringing our requests to him, um, and just enjoying his presence and being conformed more to the image of Christ. Yeah. If that makes sense. It, yeah, it does. And let me ask a couple of silly questions that I think sure. were, would, would normally be the... Uh, the response to this. So, um, can a person be a Christian, be in Christ and not read their Bible or, and not pray or, and not insert the spiritual discipline Mm -hmm. here? Yes. Um, that's a great question. And I I, I obviously think that you can be a Christian and neglect the spiritual disciplines. Mm -hmm. Um, and in some ways we do it at our own peril, not because we're earning more of God's love, but, we can experience God in more full, fuller ways. And I think that's what we're giving up when we don't engage in the spiritual disciplines. And there's seasons in every believer's life where they backslide um, or where they don't feel as engaged in the spiritual disciplines. And one of the ways I think about that is we cannot force, for instance, this is an illustration, if I go to sleep at night, um, there are certain things that I can put in place to make sure that sleep happens. Uh, I get in my bed. I cover myself up with blankets. I turn on the ceiling fan. I turn the light out and the TV off. Um, but I cannot force sleep to come upon me. And so when we engage in the spiritual disciplines, we might not feel like it, um, and we might not even be able to conjure the Spirit's work in our lives, but we can at least give Him the ability to be at work by putting ourselves in positions um, where he can come and, and play a part in our lives. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. Um, so the importance of measuring our quote-unquote Christianness isn't really important, but those spiritual disciplines are the result and our response of our call in Christ. Absolutely. It's, it's about a response. It's about a desire to want to spend time with him. And I do think that we can think about our fruitfulness. Yes. And if we want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, which is listed for us in Galatians chapter 5, if we want to see more peace and love and patience and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness crop up in our lives, the way that that's going to happen is by engaging in the spiritual disciplines. Not to earn God's favor, not to merit anything, um, but to to plow along and draw near to God so that he might draw near to us. Yeah. I think that's a good segue into our next question because in the passage that we read, we saw the Pharisees who had um, constructed a, a regiment of, we'll call them spiritual disciplines to continue the phraseology, um, and had mistakenly placed their faith in those things. Jesus says that they're teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. So with that in mind, our our next question, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. It's about how do you reconcile personal convictions about, let's call them minor things, versus biblical commands? For example, if a person has a personal conviction that they should abstain from alcohol, how should they relate that personal conviction to um, the 
the biblical commands without adding that to the requirement in Christ? Sure. It's a great question. And I think the classic passage that folks normally gravitate towards when they're talking about this issue is Romans 14, Mm. where Paul really touches on the idea of Christian liberty, um, but also not putting a stumbling block in front of another believer. Um, And so Paul is really touching on personal convictions um, among believers here in Romans 14. And he's really diving into what we're allowed to do as Christians and what our conscience will allow us to do as well as believers. And I'll read just a few verses from Romans 14. It would be worthwhile going and reading the whole chapter if you have time. Um, But the first three verses, this is how Paul picks up. He says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And so you get a sense here that the believers in Rome are struggling over should they eat meat that have been um, sacrificed to idols or not. Mm-hmm. Some Christians say, yes, that's permiss- permitted because what's an idol? It's really nothing mm-hmm. at all. And other Christians, and Paul calls them the weaker brother, say, no, we should not engage in that practice. Um, but it's really a matter of Christian liberty. And Paul is saying, look, if you feel confident that you can eat that meat, please do. If you don't feel confident and you feel like you just need to eat vegetables, then do that. But don't pass judgment on one another um, and don't allow divisiveness to grow in the body. Um, But I think some things can be a good idea or a good practice, um, but we shouldn't go further than God's word goes in universal application. So for some people, abstaining from alcohol is a very good idea, Mm -hmm. whether it be family history whether it be a struggle they've had in the past, um, whether it be the fact that they just can't stop after one or two. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in that case, that person probably should abstain, um, but we cannot apply that to uh, other believers as a universal command from God because that would take take that command further than what God, you know, where, where God would take it. That would be teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Sure. Um, and so, you know, alcohol tends to be a little bit more serious mm-hmm. um, because the ramifications yep. and implications can affect lots of people and really destroy families if you're not careful. Another sillier application of this might be uh, the closing of your eyes in prayer. Um, and so... <laughs> if they're uh, not closed, it doesn't count. If they're not closed, it doesn't count. And uh, it's always funny around our dinner table, um, I'll be, uh, my eyes will be open and I'll, I'll tell one of our daughters that I saw their eyes open and they shoot back, <laughs> well, you wouldn't have seen my eyes open if your eyes weren't open. Um, and it, it's, it's a silly thing, but um, God's word never commands that our eyes should be closed when mm-hmm. we pray. And so to command that of other people would be taking it a step further than God's word does and trying to apply something Um, that never is meant to be applied that way. So here's how I'd sum this up. Conviction should be our posture when God's word clearly speaks. Mm -hmm. So God's word clearly says, thou shall not commit murder, thou shall not commit adultery. Um, And so if that happens, we can be fairly certain that God does not want that. That is not a matter of Christian liberty. 
um, we can be convicted about those things and really go to bat and even die on that hill if we want to. But when it comes to Christian liberty, things like should you close your eyes in prayer or are you allowed to have alcohol? Can you eat this food or that food? Should you celebrate this holiday or that holiday? Can you send your kids to this school or that school? Mm. These are things where charity should be our posture um, because God's word does not definitively speak on those issues. And we've got lots of liberty as Christians and followers of Christ to, to do uh, what we want to do in some ways. And I think that that's a pretty good application of what Paul's talking about here in Romans 14. We've got lots of liberty, but we need to keep love for our brothers and sisters in mind. If it causes them to stumble, even though we've got the liberty to engage in certain practices, we should not do it because we love our brothers and sisters and don't want them to stumble. Those are some thoughts to get the gears turning. Um, it's a great question. Absolutely. So I think that'll wrap up this episode of Question and Response. Um, if you have questions that you would like Michael to respond to on a future episode of this podcast, you can email michael at trinitygracesa.org or text those questions anonymously to 210-920-0783. And we look forward to responding to those questions on a future episode of this podcast. Until next time, guys, take care.